everyone and welcome to the June 28th Tuesday edition of The Way with Anoa. I am your host, of course, hostess with the mostess, Anoa Changa. How are you guys? Hope everyone's doing well. <sighs> so much happening um, this week. I was going to talk about, I was going to talk about um, the Supreme Court cases, but you're going to see me again in a little bit because I'm going to come on with my big bro, Ben. Um, and we're going to chop it up a little bit about the Supreme Court decisions a little later. So I wanted to just kind of get right into, um, you know, the main event. Like, just, I mean, you know, I tweeted out a couple of things about the show tonight. Like, what are you doing? Well, I'm going to do something different tonight that I haven't done before. Shout out to, to JP for the suggestion. Um, going to do a segment called Petty Messy. And just just absolutely awful, right? Um, and, and I'm gonna get to that in a little bit. But first, I wanted to talk about um, you know, talk about the news and stuff that's been going on, but I really wanted to talk about like this is really exciting for me. Sunday night, BET did it. Um, I'm not gonna say they did it well across the board, but really rather Sheila E did it. Um, uh, we got a Prince tribute. Um, Sheila E. did pull together a phenomenal, phenomenal tribute to the late great artist um, that we have, you know, Prince Rogers Nelson. Um, so there's an article, I just read an article earlier today. She actually released a song um, yesterday um, and she's been recording new music, writing new music ever since his passing. So really gonna be excited to see that. Um, but for, if you have not seen any of the tributes for Prince, if you're not a big Prince fan, still check it out because it's fun, it's exciting. I mean, her tribute was the best one. It was just the best one because one, I love Sheila E. You know, J Janelle Monet did a nice little medley rendition. It was cute. You know, she played homage to some of his more, um, you know, she did the move like this, you know, and she had the shirt on with the ruffles and she had the booty cut out pants and stuff. So Janelle Monet, you know, kudos, she did a good job. Um, Bilal, Bilal did a, I, I, you know, some people may hate, I really enjoyed Bilal's rendition of Beautiful Ones. It, I had a tear. Um, Maxwell set it off right, um, but Maxwell does not disappoint. Um, and then we came to Sheila E. Uh, Sheila E says she had set only seven minutes to do this. BET gave her only seven minutes and she had to pull this together. And she had this really big plan and all these people. She was talking about Shaka Khan and the time and Morris Day and just, just all these people. And it just wasn't able to come together. I mean, it's only been two months since Prince's passing, right? And she was just saying like, for some people it was a scheduling issue, but for most part, for everyone, it's still very raw and very difficult. And she she talks about and there's I think it's a Billboard article I read it I read it on OK Player's website but uh, OKPlayer.com check out really great music really great music news um, but she she was just talking about how when she got everybody together so you know if you if you have seen the tribute they're like wow there are a lot of people on stage and one thing she says was you unless you family you won't get this you won't get it if you're not family well Auntie Sheila I got it and I loved it. So she had band, old band members. She had old backup dancers. I mean, you know, you you see like the lead kind of lead backup dancer um, was Prince's ex-wife. They they were that was very great to see. Like everyone just come together. The performance was high energy. Kicked it off with housequake. I mean, it was just awesome. Even through in a little love bazaar and glamorous life, like um, erotic city. Like I was just like, yes, this is everything. Because you know, the really sorry Madonna one. Last month, that was, that was pathetic. Sheila E did it right, um, and I just I just had to talk about it because it just it just made me so happy. It just gave me such life because it was you know it was live. And, and if you've ever seen Sheila E perform, you know she she plays multiple instruments. She's a beast on the drums, um, you know. So so it was really great. And then of course you know 
Jerome, Jerome from the time was there too. So that was very cool um, to see, you know, that energy and just everyone on stage and it was live and high action. And she was saying though, that during their practice, when they first all came together to practice, like it was so emotional for everyone. You know, you had new power generation band members. I mean, it was just a mixture of folks, right? Everyone who had worked with Prince and it was just so emotional for everybody. So they're like, we're just going to jam. We're just going to do this. So she just, she, she talks a little bit about how BET had their way of wanting to do things, but Sheila E, you know, hammered it home and made sure that she got the masterpiece that we saw the other night. So kudos to, to, to Auntie Sheila. Um, definitely check out the new music that's coming out because that's going to be pretty cool. Um, so that, that was just like, and I don't believe in BET, right? I'm not a fan of BET. I don't like, be, I didn't even watch it. Actually, I didn't even watch it on BET. I watched the BET Awards on Nickelodeon because the Evil Empire Viacom saw fit to have the, the 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 award show on every single channel. I guess they had it was on a it was it was on a <laughs> Nickelodeon. Um, it was a Comedy Central. I guess I heard it was on BET, of course. Like it was just across the board. So it was it was it was it was a, it was a great performance. It was really awesome. You know, it finished up really strong. You have everybody on stage together. Sheila kicked off her shoes. Like, it was serious. And she got into it. You know, she's sliding across the stage. It's like, get it, girl, get it. You know, I mean, it was just great. And, you know, if anyone knows anything about Sheila E. Prince, they had a very long, they've had a very long friendship. They met, I think it was like 77 or 78, maybe. I could be off of my years, but they met in the mid, late 70s. Um, and she became part of the band. She, you know, she had her own solo projects, but they also were engaged. You know, that's not only were they friends and, 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 and collaborators, but they were previously engaged. I believe if I remember correctly, he actually proposed to her during the um, Purple Rain tour. I believe it was like in 87. So, um, so yeah, so there, there's a lot of history there. And, 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 you know, this pretty awesome picture of everyone together, just the final it was great. I've watched it like three times. I mean, you know, you got to keep it light sometimes. Talk about things that make you happy. Talk about things that make you feel good. And, you know, you really don't get stuff like that often, in my opinion, at least from BET and the Evil Empire, Viacom. But um, but this is really good. And there, I don't know if anyone else caught this. This is totally off script. But they're coming out. And I remember, and I think this, I hope this is the same young artist I saw before who was trying to get um, his movie about the new edition done. But there's going to be a new edition movie, apparently, 2017. So I'm going to have to break my no BET rule, apparently, and watch the new edition movie. Um, yeah, I don't believe in BET. That's a whole other conversation. But, um, but yeah, so this was a really great, you know, the really, 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 it was, just, it was just awesome. It was, like, the best performance that I've seen. And I, I saw, I've seen Prince live. You know, I saw Prince when I was 16, my first real concert. It was the best thing ever. Um, so this was really exciting. And there was some suggestion that she might go on tour she might, the revolution might go on tour. So that could be pretty hot for anyone who's interested in that type of music, you know, reliving the glory days of good music. And I mean, it was pretty cool watching her, you know, kill it on the drums, the guitar. I mean, she, she was tearing it up and the band was awesome too. And the backup singers, everyone, it was just great. So the other fabulous thing to come out of the BET Awards, right, to get a little serious, was Jesse Williams. Lessons we can learn from Jesse, right? Shout out to Jesse. Jesse is Bay. Yesterday was Jesse. Apparently, Jesse now has his own holiday, Jesse Appreciation Day. Um, sisters, sisters, sisters have already been feeling Jesse. I mean, come on now. He's really nice to look at, for one. He's also a pretty awesome actor, and he's a badass activist. You know, Jesse, Jesse's speech, if you have not heard it, if you've not read it, it's everywhere. Look it up. If you're if you can't find it on YouTube, that's because the Evil Empire wants you to go through their paid sites and links. It is available. You just got to go through like Billboard or BET or um, some other you know site like that to see the video. They're pulling. They've been pulling it down off of YouTube since they first people start first putting it up. But um, but Jesse gave this awesome speech. It's about approximately five minutes. He received a humanitarian award for his work. Um, you know, there there's a really great spread in Essence not long ago. I think it was Essence magazine. It's either Essence or Ebony. I really think it was Essence, but there's a really great spread with with it was it was Harry Belafonte, another fabulous actor, activist, activist actor, passing the baton to 
Jesse Williams, who was passing it, and then you had Zendaya, um, Zendaya, you know, getting past it as well, like, you know, the passing of the torch type of thing. And that was pretty cool. And Jesse, Jesse's been going strong for quite some time. I think I read that he was a teacher before, you know, his acting life. Um, he gave a really impassioned speech about Blackness, about respecting Black life, about getting off our butts and getting engaged in the work to be done in our communities. Because the first off the bat, he acknowledged the fact that he's a celebrity activist, right? He said, but the real people who do the real work are the parents, are the teachers, are the people out there in the communities. Like, like that was one of the first thing he did was acknowledge, you know, his parents for raising him to be the person he is, for his wife supporting him. But he also acknowledged the community, the community that actually does the work. The community doesn't get the special, you know, awards. The community does not get that. You got tons of organizations. You got BYP 100, Asada's Daughters. You have so many different organizations out there. Um, they're not the, those people. Those people that are working day to day, actually on the ground. They're not the ones that get these accolades on national TV and stuff. You know what I'm saying? Like they're not getting, you know, TV shows or 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 or, or they're not landing on as a talking head or any of these shows. You know, people who do celebrity activism or whatever, people who have made a name for themselves doing this work, that is who gets more of the attention. And so it was great for Jesse to acknowledge all the hard work that's going on, all the organizing and engaging that people are actually doing out there. That's one thing. The other thing was for Jesse, when he, he said what he said on stage, but apparently he continued on. Right when he was so hyped from that moment, because people talk about how oh it might have been scripted or all this, I gotta find the exact wording. But but Jesse got off stage and he was still so hyped that he had more to say. And there's a jet, there's a jet magazine um piece that talks about that kind of captured what Jesse had to say once he got off stage. And Jesse was just like, you know, he was still going, like he 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 was still going, he was still very much. You know, in the moment, he was still very much, you know, he was he was talking about how people are struggling, right? People are poor, people are struggling. And just because, you know, we get in hours and just because we got all this and we hear, that does not mean, you know what I'm saying, that 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 we're all that it's all good. You know, he issued a challenge basically everyone. You know, people are really stuck on the cultural appropriation part. And, you know, I'm not going to get into the whole Justin Timberlake thing because I feel like Justin Timberlake and that whole nonsense got way too much attention. We need to be talking about what Jesse was talking about and what we all could be doing in our own work, right? So the, 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 just, just, just the call to action, the challenge, he challenged everybody across the board. You can't be, just because you got yours, because, you know, a lot of people got that, well, I got mine, well, it's not that big of a deal, you know, whatever, you know, them people over there, they need to work harder. You can't disregard the structural inequities. You can't disregard the problems in the system that persist and continue to allow certain conditions to occur. And it's not mean that people don't take personal responsibility for their own individual lives and agency. What that does is acknowledge that there are systems and there are situations and conditions that exist. You know what I'm saying? That limit certain abilities and that people have to work even harder just to get half as much as the next person. So like, Jesse is bae. The other thing that came out of this conversation, like I said before, was the whole the whole topic of cultural appropriation. Um, and there was a conversation on The View, apparently, about appropriation versus assimilation, right? Um, one of the co-hosts, I cannot remember, I don't watch The View, I just get tagged and post about The View from time to time. Um, one of my friends on Facebook, someone I went to high school with, love him dearly, but he's a Facebook bully. <laughs> he knows he is. He does it on purpose. But he posted a, he posted this video and he was like, you know, Whoopi Goldberg is making some really good points. Basically, Whoopi Goldberg was challenging the notion of cultural assimilation because um, cultural cultural appropriation by saying that, you know, Black people talking about cultural appropriation like it's the music. Everyone just makes music and it just exists and it's all mixed in. It's all together. So it's not really cultural appropriation. And then she also challenged the fact that like Black women, for example, will get weaves and have blonde hair. Um, and that that's cultural appropriation. So so the conversation that unfolded and in the the other co-hosts, other black co-hosts on the show, she she wasn't really able to articulate it very well because she had everyone else chiming in. And so here's the problem, right? Trying to have this type of conversation and dialogue, but you have to you have to take the time then to educate everyone else around you. So if I got to continue to talk to you and teach you to kind of get you up to speed, it makes it really difficult. 
Now, wait a minute, Noah, that's not fair. You want us all to be able to have this conversation, but you don't want to teach me. Well, you know, I, I, I appreciate when my friends who are not black or not of color, um, I find that's really actually usually um, my Latino friends usually never have to ask these questions. I'm just going to put it like that. You know, we as being a part of, you know, a subgroup within a dominant culture, you know, do, uh, dominant culture have had to pay attention to the cues. We've had to learn how to walk within different cultures, within different worlds, so to speak. We've had to pay attention. Y'all just not paying attention because we're making you pay attention. Like, seriously, um, that's not a diss. That's not to make anyone uncomfortable or anything like that, but it's just what it is. You know, like one of the other co-hosts, she was saying, well, I was able to have a conversation with one of my black friends and I had to give her a disclaimer, like, I'm not trying to be ignorant or rude. I just need to be to ask you questions without, look, you should just, 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 it, it's even with like touching hair, right? It's, you should just be able to think. Like, if I had to say, please don't get offended by what I'm about to say, maybe you shouldn't say it. Maybe you just shouldn't say it. Because why do we have to continue to contain our emotions, our feelings, our experience in a manner in which that permits you to be comfortable with engaging in this dialogue? How does that help us do anything, right? So this conversation about cultural appropriation versus assimilation was really interesting because this notion that members of a subgroup of a, of a, of a, and within a dominant group can somehow appropriate versus being trying to assimilate for greater acceptance. You know, we look at Eurocentric standards of beauty and, and, and granted, a lot of people who are European descent do not fit, you know, that, that stereotypical, you know, wasp imagery of beauty and it's still shoved down all our throats. But when you're a woman of color, particularly when you're, you're a black woman with, with natural hair, with thick, coarse hair, you know, you're, you're told that, and I mean, and you are actually told this. I remember being in inroads in high school and this is reinforced by other black people. These are reinforced by people who are socializing us to go into the work world. Inroads is an internship program. You know, uh, when I was my senior year, we were told that we need no braids. You know, no, no, no braids, no twists, no locks. You know, right now. So basically, if I can't twist my hair, can't braid my hair, can't wear locks, what else am I supposed to do with my hair? Basically, you're telling me only I can do is press it or perm it. So we're being told that in order to be successful, in order to go out into the world, you must straighten your hair. Now, of course, now that's changing. People have been challenging that notion. You see more and more people out in out in public, you know, with with in the workplace and professionals, you know, professional uh, uh, occupations. One of my one of my good friends from from law school, um, shout out to Vonda Kirby. Um, Vonda has a beautiful set of locks, and she's one of like the most powerful top attorneys or whatever in Louisville. So um, so I mean, it is the find the odds, but this notion that somehow I mean, when you have generations of being told that your natural hair, that your skin, that your features are not attractive, but then someone else goes ahead. You know, we have people wearing, we have white people wearing the fake locks, the cornrows, the butt injections, the lip enhancers, you know, all that stuff now. So now all of a sudden it's acceptable and it's in vogue, but when it's on a black woman, it's a problem. That's cultural appropriation in some ways, right? Same thing with the music. I mean, that was the whole blow up with Justin Timberlake was like, you know, you go from doing your little b-boy pop in sync thing, now all of a sudden you blow up, you know, doing more straight R&B, you know, type music. And albeit he's had an easier and more successful time, you could say, than some other artists who who are African-American. Music, I agree, does get a little, get a little funky. But, um, but that was just a really interesting conversation, I think, that we need to continue having, though, about how culture exists here in the United States and how people are trying to develop and curate, you know, culture and people want to voyeuristically enjoy it. But the point that I think Jesse got to, which was, excuse me, crucial is, it's not that people can't enjoy other cultures. You know, we all enjoy other cultures. We all like, you know, other dress, other styles of doing things. We, we learn different languages. We eat different foods. But you also need to be about the people. You can't just commodify what you like about something and not want to deal with people, you know, overall at all. So that was that was kind of 
what I, my takeaway from that whole thing. Um, you know, kudos to Jesse for using that platform in that manner. You know, there was also another conversation. You know, there's a whole conversation about colorism. I mean, seriously, the Jesse speech and the and the response could be a whole two hour show of its own. You know, there was an issue with colorism. Yeah, people were talking about because he's a fair skin, he's biracial, he's fair skin, pretty eyes, whatever. You know, people have some of their hangouts with skin color and stuff that 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 allows him to do what he's doing. But had he been anyone else, like let's say Nate Parker, for example, who who funded um, the Nat Turner movie Birth of a Nation that's coming out, you know, had he did something like this, would he still get the same reception? I think he would. Um, me personally, I don't think the fact that I mean, we can't deny that there is there are issues that colorism is real on very multiple different fronts. Um, but at the same time, I really think that that to try and discredit Jesse because he's biracial is really pretty ridiculous. Um, clearly he has a good damn sense about himself and believes in humans and being treated appropriately. And he identifies how he identifies and that's what needs to be respected. So that was just my little takeaway from, from all that. So I wanna get to my, my little segment for the night. Um, the petty, the petty, the messy, and it just plain wrong. Um, so Petty. Petty this week, uh, Ben will probably go into a little bit more detail about it, but I just wanted to mention it. So apparently, you probably already know, it's, it's been tweeted out stuff. Ron McCallick, uh, you know, had a bit of an exchange. Check out the Twitter feed and stuff. Had a bit of an exchange with Bakari Sellers. Bakari Sellers wrote a letter to the Democratic Platform Committee, you know, um, stressing that the traditional language that is basically the standard dim language about its commitment to Israel, blah, 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 be what's in the platform and not, you know, there's a strong push from Cornell West about, um, and Zogby about, you know, having stronger language that, 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 that acknowledged basically the Palestinian, Palestinian human rights. I mean, like, this should be a no-brainer, right? We're supposed to be so democratic and about freedom and liberty and people and human rights and stuff. This should be a no-brainer. But um, but 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 he was one of 60, I guess 60 other lawmakers, all black, signed on to this letter. Um, and to me, why why is this petty? Why am I calling this petty? Well, it's petty for various reasons. Um, it's petty one, because this was a way to kind of you know, stick it to Cornell West, right? Because there's so much that's being said right now. Everything that mainstream dance throughout, it's like, oh, we got to protect Barack Obama's legacy. Oh, we got to protect POTUS's legacy, blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, Ben and I have talked before about uh, Cornell West's, I call them temper tantrums. Even though there was some substantive value to what he had to say about POTUS, the manner in which he went about doing it and some of the verbiage he used, in my opinion, was petty. It was petty, it was messy. You know, Cornell West went and sat down someplace and was quiet a little bit. Now he's back. He's he's much more tempered in his approach and stuff. Um, he has criticized, you know, the president, but but he, you know he's he's made comments about drone strikes and other things. And he's act, he's he's factually correct, right? He's correct with what he says, and he's changed his approach. And he's fine. But this attempt to block, um, I, I mean, I, I, the whole Democratic platform, right? This whole process is petty. It's messy um, because. Shouldn't this be the Democratic Party? They're trying to convince us so hard. They're so progressive and they're so about the people. And, you know, we have all these great ideas. Like, shouldn't a platform be what we are aspiring to do? The most we're hoping the party can do? Not just the bare minimum to make sure we keep, you know, APAC and our people happy? Like, seriously. I mean, so, and, and I guess what bothers me, it's petty because you have these people under the guise, under the misguided sense that they're protecting President Obama's legacy, you know, objecting to something. They're objecting to something that has to do with, you know, human rights and value of life and engaging with other people because they don't like Cornell West. They don't like the intrusion on the process. Like, it's petty. This has nothing to do with the actual issue itself. It's petty. It's real petty. Or maybe it does have something to do with the issue. But I have a serious problem with black lawmakers. This goes over to messy a little bit too. But I have a serious problem with black lawmakers who are objecting to language that would acknowledge human rights violations, that would acknowledge the right to exist of an oppressed people, oppressed people of color. How in the hell do you claim to exist in the tradition of Martin Luther King and you are willing to stand by for the violations and atrocities committed against another people? 
That don't make no damn sense to me. It makes no sense whatsoever. Like, I just don't want to say, how are you, you know, Bakari Sellers is a Southern, is a, he's, he's from, he's in South Carolina. He's a former, you know, legislator. How do you, as a black person in America, as an educated black person in America, who knows the history of state sanctioned violence, oppression, degradation, uh, 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 damage, property damage, killings, murders that has happened in our history, how do you then co-sign and say, nah, 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 nah. We don't need to make, we don't need to say anything about what they're doing over there to people. We're going to keep giving them all that money that they get them. APAC can come give us some money to come lobby over here and do this. This is this is money and politics at work, people. This is petty. This is money and politics at work. Yeah, seriously. Like, you know, this is petty. And and what's also petty about this whole change is he got upset with, with Ronya Kalik on Twitter. <laughs> Because he, he claims like she was factually incorrect. She quotes CNN. She has a great piece on electronic intifada yesterday. She quotes CNN in her piece. CNN quotes him. And he did say in his tweets that he gave a reporter a copy of the letter. Well, give us the letter. You're trying to affect democracy. That should be there. That should be linked in the article. That shouldn't be hidden. We shouldn't have like little lines here and there. You know, I mean, even if it's regular standard democratic language that's been used over the last however many years. It doesn't matter, right? We trying to break through barriers and do big things. We can't be sticking to the same old, same old. What's wrong is wrong, plain and simple. Same thing with Cuomo and his BDS band, which is probably a violation of First Amendment rights, but that's a whole nother story. But, you know, shout out to Rania, like love her dearly. But then he calls her a, uh, what do you call her? A Twitter journalist. And she was like, ha ha ha, sorry, loser. I'm a real journalist. And, then his then his retort is, well, I'm on vacation. You on vacation. You on vacation. But you got the nerve to be writing letters, to arguing to deprive people rights, but you on vacation. And you can't respond to it. I understand you got the right to be on vacation, but if you're going to put stuff out there, if you're going to challenge something, then you need to be able to back it up. And yet, it not, there's nothing yet to be produced to say that anything she said is wrong. She links to the CNN article. So it's the CNN article that's wrong. Then you need to demand they get a retraction. Petty. Petty. I think Ben, because um, you know Ben's all over these things. He loves moderating. Ben has extended an invitation for the two of them to hash it out online. So we'll see what happens. You know, and I've said before, I actually I respect Bakari. I think he's a very intelligent man, but I'm really, really tired of seeing um black, black politicos, the black political elite line up on the wrong side of things in order to maintain their position. We don't need you to maintain your position. We need you to do what needs to be done to help the people that you supposedly serve it. So anyway. Oh, Brandy is coming on Ben's show tonight. I know they had an exchange about them debating, but that's even better. So you'll get to see Rania a little later and she can tell y'all more about it. Um, but, but messy. So messy is the Oakland Police Department. Um, now, now I know like a couple weeks ago, there was some news about how the Oakland Police Department has gone through like three, four police chiefs in like a matter of like 10 days or something like that. Like that's ridiculous. Um, there's a civ civilian review board that's going to be in charge. Um, they're working that out. That's absolutely ridiculous. It's a mess. But in the process of all this investigation, it's come out that there's a sex scandal involved as well. So in the process of this investigation, um, abuse scandal, misconduct, there's now a sex scandal, and which involves sex with a, a several police officers from several different municipalities, not just Oak, not just the Oakland City Police, but several other different agencies as well. Um, this young woman, um, her mom is a police dispatcher. This young woman is 18, and she has been a uh, uh, prostitute for hire for the police department since she was underage. That's messy. That's messy as hell. Um, and the problem is, you know, this is this is probably one of this is probably an extreme case, but things like this are not uncommon. Things like this do happen. And we need to be able to look at what is going on with our police departments. We need to be able to act, actually engage charge. I believe there are some issues with the district attorney as well. Um, that's supposed to be involved in all this. Like, like this has just so many issues in terms of accountability, in terms of oversight. Like, how the hell does this happen? How do you have um, several members of the police department 
having sexual relations with an underage prostitute. Like that, that means there are people who covered up, who kept it quiet, because this has been going on for years. She's 18 now, but she was under 16 before. Um, yeah, that's messy. It's really messy. Um, and these are people that are supposed to serve and protect and, 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 and control, you know, order and law and stuff in our communities. And again, this is not, there, there are several cases out there of sexual misconduct, anything like that with police officers. And this is not the only such case. This is just a very messy case considering all else that's going on with Oakland right now. Um, messy, just messy. So um, finally, because I like to get some calls in, I like to get you, get to you guys, get you on the phone tonight for a little bit before I got to hand it over to Ben. But um, yeah, so you guys can call in um, 857-600-0518. I think that's right. Um, I like to get you guys on the phone. You can call in. But my final, my final, final for the evening is um, just plain wrong. So there apparently there, there's an account, uh, bros for Hillary. There's also, so we've been having this whole Bernie bro nonsense, right? But there are, there are Hillary bros. So the Hillary bros yesterday, um, I can't find the tweet anymore, but the Hillary bros yesterday, they tweet out a picture because, you know, Hillary Clinton appeared with Liz Warren. They both had on um, blue blazers, different shades of blue, but they still were both in blue. Um, yes, they were so fierce. <laughs> anyway, so there was a there was a meme they made, and it, so this is from a bro, some some presumably a men's website, saying, "Come on, ladies, let's get in formation." You already know if there was a meme of like Nina Turner and Tulsi, and it came from Bros for Bernie or any other the men sites or any male account on Twitter or anything else supporting Bernie Sanders. Oh, that's sexist. Men are telling women what to do, blah, blah, blah. It would have been a whole big deal. But this notion, again, like, see, you can't have it both ways. It's manipulation of identity politics. And then you have men, you know, come on, ladies, let's get in from formation. And then the fact that formation, you know, is it comes from, it's a very particular reference to a very particular, you know, song. And it has a very particular feel right now, culturally, cultural appropriation. Um, you know, we, we, we talk about getting information, handling business, really going out there and getting ready to do something, getting information to do what? Elect the queen? I'm good. She's up now anyway, allegedly, so she don't need my vote. So I don't need to get information behind her. I don't need y'all telling me that I got to, come on, come on, ladies, let's get information. That's if I'm supposed to be excited. You know, it's also playing on the, the, the idea that, you know, if Liz Warren is actually her VP, then we'll have two women. Ooh, two women, formation, ladies. No. There is nothing, there is nothing about the two of them that will actually improve my life. You know, we're talking about adding in uh, student loan forgiveness for entrepreneurs up to $17,000. What the hell is $17,000 forgiveness going to do? Like seriously, Hillary, back to the drawing board, boo. Um, you know, there's there's a great thread on Twitter today about that, about how uh, entrepreneurs code name for a young rich rich kid, you generally white who who has money to burn and not a real job. I thought that was a very interesting analogy. Um, but the other one is the other the other account. So men for Bernie, and these were almost simultaneous, right? So apparently someone sent me an article that these accounts are some of those correct the record accounts. So men for Bernie has a um, picture. Um, they do a picture of basically uh, Hillary Clinton as Daenerys from Game of Thrones. You know, first season of Game of Thrones, if you're not familiar with Game of Thrones, in the first season of Game of Thrones, Daenerys comes out of the fire. You know, she loses her husband. She's desolate. So she lights the fire appears, you know, and then she puts her dragon eggs in the fire, but she walks into the fire too, because she's just, you know, lost, her husband's dead, blah, blah, blah. So she, when the fire is done, the smoke is gone, you know, smoke is cleared, she arises from the ashes, you know, un untouched with her dragons on her. She's the mother of dragons, right? That follows Daenerys, mother of dragons. She's the unburnt, you know, she, it follows her across the series. Um, so the picture 
is Hillary Clinton as Daenerys in this scene, as I'm mentioning, with her emerging out of the fire, unburnt, with the dragon on her. And it says, mother of LGBT. And she, she was marching in the gay pride parade. I'm sure like four years ago, she would not have been caught dead at a gay pride parade, but she was marching the gay pride parade this weekend. Um, but but what bothers me even more, not so much that she marched in the gay pride parade or she is now like revered as some hero of LGBT equality and stuff when she wasn't a few years ago. Um, you know, there, there, there are like in 2006 or 2007, I believe, you know, Neera Tandon has quotes talking about how Hillary is very strong in her belief that marriage was between a man and a woman, um, you know, that she would not was not moving on uh, a, a gay marriage. This has been, you know, because this has been a long battle all across the 2000s and legally. Um, so so having her titled and styled as mother of LGBT, it one is just so it's so problematic. It's so imperialist. How do you declare yourself mother of people? It's actually the one critique and one issue I actually have with Daenerys um, from Game of Thrones. But that's a whole nother story. What I what I what I have issues with Game of Thrones. Love the show overall. But the other thing thing that that somehow Hillary Clinton is this great liberator because Daenerys, the character Daenerys, is, is she's mother of dragons because she gives birth to, to the dragons. Dragons have been gone. For, for centuries um, at, at this point in Game of Thrones. No one in living has actually ever seen a dragon before. And she's survived the fire. She's so heroic. Like Daenerys really is an impressive character. She's very, not that, that Hillary Clinton's not an impressive person, but at the same time, if we're really gonna talk about Hillary Clinton being somebody from Game of Thrones, she's more likely to be a Cersei who's willing to burn everybody down to the ground to get what she wants than a Daenerys that sees herself as a benevolent ruler trying to free the slaves and, and bring peace and order to the world. I mean, seriously. So if anyone has watched Game of Thrones and you've seen season six, um, it's, you know, you guys can hop in if you want to call, you want to chat a little bit, because I could just talk about, you know, why Hillary Clinton is more like Cersei than, than Daenerys. Um, but this notion that she was, she's the mother of LGBT, I mean, you could say a lot of things, right? say she's the mother of equality, mother of you, you could say a lot of things, but to say that she's the mother of LGBT, when she does not even have the clearest, cleanest history on this issue. And then what, it's one thing if you had like LGBT for, for Hillary or gays for Hillary or lesbians for Hillary say that, right? It's one thing when you're a part of a group to say something like that, but when you're not clearly a part of a specific group and you start making procl proclamations as presuming to speak on behalf of people, that's a problem. That's really, that's just wrong. It's just a problem. And like they doing too much. They go too far. If you want people to support your candidate, you don't have to make nonsense like this. Just stick to the issues. Talk about why she's better. Talk about what she is doing. I mean, you want to call her mother LGBT. What is she doing to address persisting issues of LGBT inequality and oppression, repression in a society? You know, okay, yay. Gay, lesbians, transgender, people can get married. But, you know, in a lot of places, transgender folks have issues, you know, getting their their gender recognized, right? Being able to have their names. Here in Georgia, there is a young transgender man who's trying to change his name, and the judge refuses because the name is too masculine. Where's Hillary Clinton on, on those issues? You're going to say she's the mother of LGBT. I mean, you can't just proclaim people... You know, say someone's the mother something means they're nurturing, means they're providing for, means they're fighting. Being a mother is so much. To say she's the mother of anything, she's not the mother of dragons. She's Cersei. She is Cersei, the self-proclaimed queen of Westeros. That's who she is, first of her name. Did y'all watch Game of Thrones season six finale? Well, if you didn't, close your ears. She is going, she will set wildfire underneath us all and light us all on fire if we don't get information and do what she wants. She will manipulate and do what she needs to do to become queen, president in this case, of the world because that's what she wants. She's so blinded by power, she sees nothing else. All the faults, all the scandals, all the whisperings and the murmurings that people get in her way are just cast aside. So to cast her as Daenerys, who's seemingly a heroine, versus Cersei, who's most definitely a villain. It's just laughable in this case. Just stick to the issues. Y'all are better off just stick, trying to stick to the issues and painting your candidate in a good light on what she's good at. Trying to create all this fanciful 
folklore nonsense about her is just absolutely ridiculous. Like seriously. I mean, and quite honestly, as a as a fan of the show, it's pretty insulting that you consider her, you know, akin to mother drag, like mother, mother of LGBT. Like, I mean, if she was if it was mother of black women or something like that, uh, I'd have my my words would be so much stronger. But I thought this was, I mean, this was messy, but this was just plain wrong. It's just wrong. You know, they just they just do too much. And just, I mean, and, and it's a problem because we have so many people who buy into nonsense like this. Like, oh, yes, makes you feel warm and tingly inside. Well, Anoa, you know, I saw pictures of, like, Bernie as Obi-Wan. Yeah, because Bernie's actually kind of like Obi-Wan. Like, that's a little different. But, no, seriously, like, even that's, that's fun. And that's, that's, that's just, like, being fun, like Bernie won Kenobi. Okay. But this whole mother of LGBT, like, saying that she's the mother of any marginalized or oppressed group, it's really insulting, to say the least. Um, yeah, like I just, mm, like it just, it just really, it was really bothersome when I saw the tweet. The other one about formation, but this one just took the cake. And I'm just like, for both of them on the same day, I'm like, what? Who the hell is running these accounts? Like y'all need to pay pay people better. You know, I mean, like, what are you doing with yourself? So, so yeah. So that was just 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 plain awful. Um, the other thing that's plain awful, it's different type of awful. Right now, um, West Virginia and Ghana both have experienced deadly flooding, um, deadly flash floods that have caused a lot of, uh, you know, destruction. Otherwise, I can speak more about West Virginia because it's this is the area, the region of the state I lived in. Um, and actually someone who, who I've known through, through some of the water crisis, you know, roundtable work, her, her area was, was affected. Her house was affected. Um, quite a few people have been affected. I think the death toll was 23, um, in West Virginia. And, um, what's, what's really great. I mean, that's just awful, right? It's, it's, you, you got to wonder about landslides when you have massive landslides and flooding and sea, you know, sea level, but river levels rising and things like that. Like, what 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 that's all you know how that that is but um you know is that a climate issue do we have environmental concerns to, to think about um but what is great that came out of all that is that there i see posts all the time from from folks that i still know businesses showing up because it's also hot so you've also had people without water without electricity their their homes have been lost their personal belongings, like homes just washed away. Um, you know, the high school, one of the high schools, Capital High School, opened up as a shelter. People have been donating food. You know, so they already have a lot of stuff going on. Definitely check out, like, I think the, um, the uh, I can't think of the name of the paper, but there's a whole lot of information if you're interested in donating or anything. Um, but definitely, like, cause, because, I mean, it's just, it's awful. And the problem is like, you know, the state actually does have money to help and intervene when things like this happen. The state is sitting, the state of West Virginia has like several hundred millions of dollars that just sits on, right? But as with the water crisis, they don't really, you know, intervene. Hopefully they'll they'll make sure they'll, they request actual disaster relief for people um, so that they can get what they need to get done. Um, the other thing that's awful, I just thought of something else that was awful that that happened. Now I slipped my mind. Mm. Oh, awful. Another thing that's awful that I learned, I just saw this from Josh Fox, the, the filmmaker, um, that New York, we, we've been talking about how New York has a has a fracking ban, right? New York has a frack, New York State has a fracking ban. However, New York State still accepts radioactive fracking waste from other states. How does that make any sense? That's just awful. I mean, what's the point of a fracking ban if you're going to still accept radioactive hazardous byproducts? I mean, we have to pay attention to what's going on, you know, like exceptions. So when we're pushing for fracking bans, that's something like, like, like when you're pushing for something, make sure you've considered what the possible scenarios are that still affect that situation to still affect the issue that you're trying to deal with, right? So in this case, fracking ban, Okay, so you can't frack, but the state still allows radioactive fracking waste, which also causes problems. That's just awful. So 
that was my petty, messy, and just plain old awful for the evening. Um, definitely wrapping it up here. It's 8.50. I appreciate you guys for tuning in. You know, kind of just having, I'm trying different things out. Haven't been doing this very long. Really thankful for Ben. Shout out to Ben, Benjamin Dixon Show. If you're new, like, subscribe, share the channel and stuff like that. Like Ben provides this platform. It's really great. It's really awesome to be able to do this every week with you guys. Um, also, shout out to Mike Salomon, the podcast revolution. Um, that's a pretty cool project he has. He has, I think it's like, I think we're up to six. I think he's up to six podcasts, different um, voices from across the, the revolution, the movement. Um, go check that out, podcast, the podcast revolution. And then also shout out to my brothers on Thursday night. Niz and Richard and the rest of the crew at Project Sanity. I mean, we all had different content. We all had different shows. But, you know, PA at the end of the day, it's all family. And in every family, you know, I'm the, I'm the, I'm not the only girl because we got Kelly. Kelly's, Kelly's the sister who went away to summer camp and she hasn't come back from summer camp yet. You know, we miss you so much, Kelly. But um, if any family you may, we have really good times. We may not always agree. You know, we may have bitter fights like siblings, but at the end of the day, it's all love. It's all PA. And as we continue to grow, we, we, we appreciate your um, continued viewership and support. Continue to bring more people in. Join us on Facebook in the Progressive Army group. You know, you can chop it up, provide more, you know, continue the conversation. Um, hit us up on Twitter. Um, I have a Facebook page now for The Way. Come, you know, show me some love. Give me a like. And uh, would love to hear just more from you guys, what you want to see, kind of where you want this to go. Like, I know where I want this to go, but what do you think? I mean, I do appreciate the fact that you will tune in on Tuesday nights. Definitely looking at how to get the show um, hooked up into the podcast land. So for those of you on the go who don't get to watch on Tuesdays, you can just, you know, pop it in, uh, download the MP3, log into iTunes, definitely in the works. So it's a lot going on. Um, definitely support the Benjamin Dixon Show because Ben supports all the rest of us. And look for more great content and stuff to come. I mean, you know, we're going to continue to hook you up and make sure we provide you with really good information, really good content, and really good conversation. Now, I just want to close and lead with this, if I can find it, because I had it all together. But um, Alicia Garza, co-founder of Black Lives Matter, did an interview in L with Melissa Harris-Perry. For those of you who don't know, Melissa Harris-Perry is, um, is the editor-at-large now for Elle. You know, that was her move after MSNBC. So the piece is, why Black, it's titled, Why Black Lives Matter, Alicia Garza Won't Support Hillary Clinton. She goes on to talk about in the article how she did support Bernie Sanders. She did vote for Bernie Sanders in the California primary. Um, how she, at least at the time this article, did not intend on, you know, supporting Hillary Clinton. Um, but what I really liked was when she was asked, what happens if, what do you, what do you see happening if Trump is president? And what she said is, the question is, she, she, well, the question is, if Donald Trump is elected, what do you think is going to happen to the movement for Black Lives then? And I think this is actually, could be for any of our progressive work, any of our movement work, right? Hopefully what happens is that it gets stronger and it gets more strategic. The next, the last question was, if Donald Trump wins the American presidency, because they also had a conversation about shoes and fashion a little bit too. It's, it's, it's a fun piece, informative piece. If Donald Trump wins the American presidency, what shoes are you going to wear for the inauguration? Alicia says, running shoes. But what I liked, what I liked, and this is my closeout for the night, because I really thought this was a powerful statement, and we need to consider this regardless of who is in the office going forward. You know, if you're considering going green, go green. You know what I'm saying? I encourage people to make an informed decision about what they're doing. If you decide that you need to hold your nose and vote for Hillary, I'm not going to disown you. Some people might, but I'm not going to, because at least you made an informed decision. You made a choice. Your vote, your voice, your choice. Do what you got to do. Um, but just make sure you're engaged and involved in the process. That's really what we need to change more, you know, more than anything else. We need people engaged to stay engaged in the process. So you go in green, go to local meetings, help build off the party, help do outreach and engagement and stuff like that. Don't just say, oh, I voted. We need to move beyond that, right? So she says that um, what I liked, and I'm closing out because it's time to go, it's time for Ben. But what she said was real quick, oh, there it goes. Our job is to keep our communities engaged and keep our communities mobilized. And the running shoes would really be for, we got to get moving. We have a lot of work to do. 
what are you what are we going to do to make sure our democracy changes how are we going to be fighting back under a trump presidency and then who are we going to be running to take power who are we going to be running to take power brand new congress people's convention check it out i'm out good night peace the way